It's been a long weekend. Happy Lord's Day, y'all. It's good to see everybody smiling faces. Y'all ready for Labor Day weekend? I don't know. It feels like we just had a long Labor Day with that week we had off from school. So hopefully everybody's getting back into their routine after we had the hurricane week. Uh, but uh, anyway, we have another short week. Uh, but we have some really awesome readings today. And <clears throat> excuse me, the theme of the readings this evening, if we look at the first reading in the gospel, we're hearing about two different principles. The first of them is what's called fraternal correction. All right. What does it mean when we have beef with somebody and, and how do we address them? And then in the second reading, or the gospel reading, we hear the principle of subsidiarity. And I'll explain that in a few seconds. Uh, but let's look at this first reading. All right, we hear Ezekiel. The Lord tells him, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Uh, watchman. What that means is, is the watchman was someone you put on either the, the wall of the city or a tower. And they're watching in case an army comes or they're watching for messengers who are coming. Uh, and they're the person who alerts the king or the captain of the guard, that something's coming or there's a problem. Um, especially because if it's an issue, if they're being attacked, they're able to tell the king, hey, we have a problem. All right. And so this is what the Lord's telling Ezekiel. I have appointed you as a watchman. I have appointed you as someone to tell the king there is a problem. All right. Um, and so we hear the Lord say to him, if I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you, sh you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked man to turn from his way. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. So we do have a duty. If we see something wrong, it's okay to tell somebody, hey, something is wrong here. Um, I think what happens is, is there's a quote from Pope Francis that gets taken out of context all the time. It's poorly interpreted. Uh, people always say, who am I to judge? Right? As if we can't point out other people's sins. As if we can't point out other people's faults. And that's just wrong. Because think of what happens in a court. Who imposes the sentence? That's the judge, right? The judge is the one who, once the verdict has been reached, the judge is the one who imposes the sentence. But who determines if you're guilty or not? A jury of your peers. Does that make sense? So the jury tells you, yeah, something happened here. You did something wrong, all right? And we, we hope that they actually get the verdict right, but it's, it's the jury who actually says, yes, something wrong happened here. So it's okay to point those things out. In fact, in some ways, uh, complacency, implies, uh, complacency implies consent. That by not saying anything, it might seem that we're okay with what's going on. And I like to think, if you've ever been to the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C., at the very end of the main exhibit, there's a quote. It's by a Lutheran pastor in Germany. And he said, they took the communist and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a communist. Then they took the Jews, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a Jew. But then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. Complacency implies consent. And so what's the second half of the reading? He says, but if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you will have saved your life. So yes, at least we've done what we were supposed to do. We should have at least some peace of mind to say, hey, I did what I could. Because what also happens is we might just say, well, I couldn't fix things. And I think we struggle with that sometimes as human beings is because we want to fix things. We see something wrong, and we want it to be fixed. We want to put things back together. We want things to be okay. What happens if we try everything, if it's someone we love? If it's someone we love and we're trying to correct them, we put everything into it. And what happens if they still don't listen, if they still don't come back to the Lord? That hurts sometimes. 
And we, we worry. It's like, yeah, so I may have saved my soul, but what about theirs? What about my brother, my sister, whoever it might be? Who, you know, if we love this person, that's why we're trying to correct them. What we hear in these readings today, it's not about being right versus being wrong. It's about willing the good of the other. That we tell them that they've done something wrong, but we've pointed out a sin or a fault because we want them to be better. We desire for them what God desires for them. We want them to be happy, holy, and healthy. It's never about just me being right and them being wrong. If that's the attitude we come in with, then we're doing this for the wrong reason. And that's why we have the gospel reading today. But yes, like we, sometimes we have to accept the fact that you know, maybe we did everything we could, but we can't, we can't hold ourselves accountable, we can't kick ourselves because the person didn't change their ways. At some point, they do have to take responsibility for their actions. And so then we have this next principle in the Gospel reading, this principle of subsidiarity. And what happens with subsidiarity? It's basically the order in which we approach things in, in dealing correction. All right? If you have a problem with somebody, and this is something they told us in the seminary all the time, if you have a problem with somebody, handle it with the person. All right? Like in the seminary, they would, if you try to go to the rector and say, hey, I have a problem with the guy, he would ask you, did you talk to him about it? And if the answer was no, then he'd say, well, get out of my office and go talk to him. Like, you're a grown man, be a man and go talk to him. You know, because it's sometimes it's simple things where it's, it's to say, hey, like, you know, you did something that really just irritates me, you know? Or if I go to Scout and say, you know, Scout, like, you giggling just really irritates me. It doesn't. I'm just using you as an example. I think it's awesome when you, when you, when you just laugh. It's, it's great. I need that joy. All right? Keep it up. Um, but if, if, like, for example, if I had a problem with that, I would tell her. I just, it would just be nothing to say, Scout, like, can you really just not giggle? You know, it just irritates me. And she could be like, yeah, I can see that, you know, and it gets fixed. But what happens, like, if we try to, to go above their head, you know? Um, most people wouldn't appreciate that. I know I wouldn't appreciate it if somebody had, had an issue with me as a priest, and they went straight to the bishop. And they didn't try to tell me where I could have probably fixed the problem sooner and better than if, we, if you tried to, to draw things out by telling the bishop who then had to tell me. All right, address it with the person. And what we did with that in the seminary, we had uh, peer evaluations where uh, you got to pick two guys to fill out an evaluation for you. And you could pick like the two best guys that, who, who think the world of you so that you could have a good picture of, of the, the best of your character. And then the formators would pick two other guys that you might not be close with. And you hope that at least they have an objective perspective to say, okay, yeah, we do notice this thing about the guy. And so, but they'll say, in the evaluation, have you brought this up with the guy? So yes, it might come back to the staff in the evaluation, but they make sure, okay, are you telling us for the first time or have you told them yet? That principle of subsidiarity, and that's what Jesus is saying. Take a witness the second time after you've already approached them. So in the seminary, like, or, or like, let's just say with Scout. Well, I'm just going to stick with you, Scout. All right? Let's say if I get Allie to come with me and to say, Scout, like, sometimes your giggling just gets really annoying. All right? We have two witnesses. All right? And guess what? She still might just blow it off. So then I'm going to go to Father Mitch. I go to the church. And I'm like, Father, like, Scout is just really irritating me with her giggling. All right? You see how this works, how you, you make this, these progressions. But it starts at the lowest level because we're expected not to be afraid of damaging a relationship, or, or if we do things right, we should never have that fear. And that's the thing about fraternal correction. It always has to be done with several things. One of them is, yes, the truth is one thing. The truth is extremely important. That's the core of correction. But you also have to have charity, 
You also have to be understanding, try to put yourself in their shoes to, to maybe think about why is this person acting the way that they're acting? Because guess what? We've only been focusing on one perspective so far. What about when the shoe's on the other foot? What if we're the ones who are receiving the correction? Can we receive it gracefully? Can we be the ones open to hearing what they have to say and then say, you know what, maybe they're right. Our, first, our, our, our knee-jerk reaction should not be to blow things off, but to actually say, okay, let me see am I, what am I doing, and to think about our motives for that particular action. Maybe we do something for a particular reason is because we think that we believe, maybe we've discerned it in prayer, that, uh, that this actually is good for the other person. They just don't know it yet. All right? So we have to think about what happens if we're the one receiving the correction. All right? But we want to make sure that we have a reputation if we're going to correct people for being understanding, for being charitable, for being honest. Because what happens is if we don't, ha if we don't have that reputation, if we don't have the habit of being that way, we can easily make things much worse than they happen to be. All right? Think about, and, and, and maybe you know already, I'm a huge Hamilton fan, so yes, I'm going to use another Hamilton reference in this homily. Um, it's also historical. Uh, think of like dueling. You know, centuries ago when you, know, when you had guys that had, had beef between each other, they would go into a duel where they would really threaten to kill each other. In many ways, yeah, they would either just wound each other or some of them go for the kill shot. All right? And so think of what happens between Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr. All right, you don't have to have seen the musical to, to get this. Alexander Hamilton, one of our founding fathers, he, everything he wanted in life, he went for and he took. He worked for it, he took it in the moment, he didn't wait, he kept going and going, and he was nonstop. And so Aaron Byrne knows him to be a guy who is not patient, who is going to take what he wants, who is going to act as soon as he gets the opportunity. And then on the other hand, you have Aaron Burr, who waits for everything. He patiently waits. He doesn't take sides most of the time. And so Hamilton knows Burr to be someone who will not act, someone who will be very indecisive. And so what happens when they get to their duel, Hamilton thinks for once in his life, I'm going to not take what I want. For once in my life, I'm actually going to throw away my shot and hope that we can get peace through this. What does he do? He throws up his gun in the air and he, that's where he shoots. Burr, because he knows Hamilton to be someone who's reactionary, who's someone who's not going to throw away his shot because he never did before, because of, of Hamilton's reputation, Burr says, I'm not going to let this man make an orphan of my daughter, and Burr shoots Hamilton. And then Burr famously says, the world was wide enough for both Hamilton and me. Is it worth killing somebody to fraternally correct them when you have beef with them? No. Never. It is never worth killing somebody for fraternal correction. And that's why we have to have these virtues. That's why we have to have the sense in which we are understanding, we're patient, we're calm, you know, uh, to really try to put ourselves in the other person's shoes, to empathize with them. That's what empathy is, is putting ourselves in the other person's shoes. Because if we don't do that, if we come from our own perspective, we're going to miss something. We're not going to understand why they're doing something against us when they might not be intending to. Right? We have to have that patience. And then always, uh, I've probably preached on this before, uh, the balance between truth and charity. That you have to have both, especially in fraternal correction. That you can't have just all truth because the truth oftentimes becomes a very sharp sword that cuts right to the heart and leaves someone bleeding. And that hurts. The truth hurts sometimes. And sometimes we need the truth. But the thing is, if we're going to use the truth, we have to be ready that if the person starts bleeding from the heart, that we're there to help make things better. That we don't just stop at cutting them to the heart, but that we're ready with the next step. And that's where charity comes in. 
If we do things right, if we tell the truth with charity, we will do that right. Now, what happens if you have all charity and no truth? It's like slapping somebody with a wet noodle. It's not going to do anything at all. And they're probably going to look, look at you strange. It's like you're not going to affect any kind of change if all you have is charity and no truth. You have to have both. And that's the thing about virtue, is with all the virtues, it, the virtue is finding the median between two extremes. Having all truth, not good. Having all charity, not good. You have to find the balance. And that's different from person to person. It's different from scenario to scenario. That is the hardest thing. But the thing is, we're, we're not alone in that. And that's where we have to turn to, to Christ. You know, and we have to turn to, to prayer to ask him, Lord, give me the grace, especially the courage. A lot of times we, we tend to hide from correcting people. We tend to just want to maybe sit in the shadows or we're just, like, we're just like, man, like I know this is wrong and I want to say something, but I just don't feel like I can do it. And then maybe to apply that practically, look at what's happening recently. We're in an election year. It's 2020. We have elections coming up, the presidential election. I see it on Facebook. I see what happens when people are trying to call each other out on things, and they're doing it with sometimes no truth whatsoever, and sometimes with no charity whatsoever. Like people are just attacking each other's character and not actually attacking issues. All right? And so what happens is we have to think, you know, and maybe ask ourselves, like, if I was actually standing right in front of this person, would I actually say the thing that I'm about to type and hit send? Would I actually say it? And sometimes we think, yeah, I would actually say it. Well, guess what? If you want to tell that person, you could, I can get both of you to come in my office tomorrow, and I can let you two have at it. Oh, now I'm arranging this. Yeah, I am. Because that's what we need sometimes. We need to actually think, in that situation, would I really say this? Or am I hiding behind the screen? Am I hiding behind the keyboard? Because I'm just afraid to actually say it in person. Am I afraid of being vulnerable myself, of bearing my own heart to this person, and myself possibly being wounded by this experience, by this correction? We can't be afraid of that. It has to be done correctly. It has to be done with truth and with charity. Otherwise, it's not worth doing at all. So that's our prayer. That's our reflection for this week, is when it comes to giving correction, can we do it with charity, with truth, understanding, with patience, and with mercy? And if we're the ones receiving that correction, can we do that gracefully? Can we do it considerately? Maybe taking into account, why is this person bringing this up? Because again, if we can't say it, if we can't do it, it's not worth saying at all if we don't do it correctly.